3: Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That? I'm Neil Delamere. I'm the co host with this man beside me here. Well, at least, not geographically beside me, but beside me in spirit, in soul. He's my spirit animal. He's Dave Moore.
1: How are you, (laughs) Dave? I'm very well. Thanks very much for having me, Neil. I'm glad to be your spirit animal. That's interesting. Although I don't think we share many of the same kind of spiritual things. I mean, I'm very lazy. You're very active. Yeah, yeah. You don't like politics. I like politics. No, no, I'm not into politics at all. Uh, I'm uh, very, very interested in sneakers. Uh, You possess things which go on your feet, which protect your feet from glass and roads.
3: Yeah, I mean, I say spirit animal. I don't mean in the Native American sense. I don't want to appropriate anybody else's culture. I mean, uh, a dog most likely to bring me whiskey. That's what I mean. That is that is definitely what I am for you. Yes, yes very specific. If I get lost in, in the Alps and I imagine who is the human I know that looks most like a simburger? It's <laughs> Dave Moore, ladies and
1: gentlemen. We have the same body mass, that's for sure. I would survive no problem in a sub-zero climate for a long time due to the amount of excess blubber I carry around me to keep me as cosy as possible. I think that is a lie.
3: But uh, let's move on from my insult towards you and your... Uh, Larry here, two lovely canines. What do you think of Beethoven? Anyway, um. <laughs> If you haven't heard our podcast before, one of us introduces the other one to something extraordinary that he has found, then in the second half of the show, an expert corroborates the nonsense that the the co-host has just come up with, and today is Dave's turn. If you want to suggest things to us, we are, uh, of course, on Instagram, I'm at Neil Deliver Comedy, he's at Dave Today FM, and uh, we are at at Why Would You Tell Me That as well, and we're all over Twitter as well, so please like and subscribe and follow the podcast, that way you will get to here whenever we drop a new one
1: yeah that is the key thing is to do all the subscription and the following and the liking a lot because what that does is that means you never miss out on an episode when the next episode arrives you're the first person to find out because you open up your phone it's already sitting there waiting for you you don't have to worry about it much like the reliable saint bernard of the podcast world (laughs) we will find you you don't have to call for us we will (laughs) sniff you out and bring you podcast brandy and away you go
3: And we are proudly part of the Acast Creator Network. So, young David, what do you have for me today?
1: In part two today, Neil, we're going to investigate why you would get a squid drunk. (laughs) Okay, wow.
3: Okay, I mean we've done a lot of these podcasts, and I'm, you know, sometimes I think I know where he's going. If something is big in the news, I think he's going to throw it away. Sure. sure yeah. um, why would we get a squid?
1: Now I, I should say I should say I should immediately say because animal lovers are animal lovers, and they also are quite well. I suppose I don't want to use the word triggered, but what I mean is, you know, if you love animals, you do not want any harm to come to an animal. You yeah. and I are both animal lovers, absolutely. Uh, so. I must point out this is not like some kind of fraternity getting a squid like you know, taking yeah. a squid from the aquarium and going, Hey, let's feed him some beers and take him on a wild night in our Chevy pickup. It's not that. <laughs> it's no, no, I, it's yeah, me. exactly. It's not that. Can I guess?
3: Okay, you can totally guess, yeah. Is it how you know the really fancy first letter in the book of Kells in a chapter? <laughs> Yes, is, is it actually monks didn't do that because that was beyond the ken of man. Uh, it was beyond the ability of mere humans, and they just got a squid pissed. I went, <laughs> you could do one letter, Tony. Uh, Tony's like, i okay, care, but I've got eight arms. <laughs> no, no,
1: no, you could do, you could do one, but like just <laughs> well, the actually, first piece We will investigate that. You mentioned that we will investigate in part two the difference between arms and yes. tentacles. I did not know there was a difference. Is the difference that in the sixties.
3: That there was no such thing as a tentacles race between the U.S. and the
1: USSR. Yes, that is actually weirdly true. No, so we will investigate why scientifically okay. you would get a squid drunk. And obviously I'm being slightly, why would you tell me that podcast, yes. you know, facetious yes. about it. But yes. there are there basically, there are there are animals, what are squids, what to go into <laughs> drunkenness. And the reason is we'll find out in part two. So I have got one of the greatest experts. I've, I've wanted to talk to this girl for a long time. Her name is Sarah McAnulty. She is literally the squid doctor in the world. She is such a genius when it comes to squid and cuttlefish and octopus and all these kind of things. And I cannot wait to introduce you to her. And I cannot wait to talk to her.
3: Right. Does she like Korean dystopian dramas by any
1: chance? <laughs> we will definitely ask her we'll about this Game. Him. Absolutely. So have
3: you been reading up on squids
1: then? Well, I have. But what, no, because what I wanted to do was... I wanted to let Sarah, I want to kind of wind her up and let her go because she's so passionate about these animals and she knows so much that to even cram her into the limited time that we have with her today, I want to make sure that we get as much as we can out of her. So what I've done is I've gone down into the squid neighborhood. Okay. I've gone, (laughs) I've gone deep, I've gone deep into. uh,
3: That sounds like something you'd hear in a, a Raymond Chandler novel. Just you want us to find the missing missing treasure? You got to go down to the squid neighborhood.
1: You got to go down to Cuttlefish <laughs> Avenue.
3: It's got to, it's by the French Quarter. Just go up, to, just go up to the first <laughs> cephalopod you see and ask for Jerry.
1: <laughs> well, basically, what I've done is I've gone. Into he's got to see.
3: He's got to point out which way you got to go. Now you got to ignore six of his arms. You got to follow his his two arms that are pointed in the same direction.
1: <laughs> and if he inks you, don't worry about it, man. <laughs> he inks everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've done is I, I've dived deep into the abyss, and look, the deep sea is something amazing. The sea in general is amazing. like I know we hear this all the time, but we have explored less of the deep sea than we have of our solar system. Like, yes, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. So we know less about that than we do because telescopes are easy to point outwards. It's very difficult mm. to see down and underneath, and understand that, and every day. We are finding new species we didn't know about. We're finding completely, inverted commas, alien creatures that we didn't think existed. But they do exist, and they're amazing. And I want to tell you about a few of them today. Because okay. have you ever heard of an angler fish?
3: No, I have not.
1: By the way, can I just say, at this point, I'm
3: fully on board with all of this. You're literally talking to a man whose surname means of the sea. Delamere. So, you know, I didn't even put that together. <laughs>
1: Did you know? No, Well, I mean, I have done in the past. I just mean in relation to this that's why
3: I'm enthused. What's an anglerfish?
1: Okay, an anglerfish is a fish that fishes for fish. Okay, it's a fisher of of fish. It's a fish fisher. Right.
3: Does it do it in gaps in the rock, so it will be a fish fisher within fishers?
1: Oh, no. Okay. I don't think so, but that would have been excellent. (laughs) Everyone extra, extra good. So one of the interesting things about the world in the sea is most fish eat fish. Like I know that sounds kind of obvious, but if you think about it, that's what they survive on. They survive on each other. It's an ecosystem. Well, it
3: would be difficult for a fish to eat a giraffe, for example. I mean, I think I mean the level of evolution necessary for a fish to eat a largely land-based species that's in the middle of the savanna. Yeah. Why are we always hungry, Brenda? Because we eat fucking giraffes, John.
1: That's why. <laughs> We've managed one in sixty-five million years. <laughs> We're only two of us left. I think it might be related to our and diet. That one, and that one fell off a boat. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you should be the cartoon Madagascar that whetted my appetite and now I can't get a taste of
1: it.
3: Is, is a fish, like, do you know when they say if a dog ever bites a human, it'll never, oh, it gets a taste of human flesh. Oh, oh. Mm-mm-mm-mm. It's like a fish. Once it's had giraffe, you never oh, turn back.
1: Giraffe steak, forget it. It's never come back to a guppy that's beside it. <laughs> I don't know why guppy is such a funny word. Okay, so most fish eat fish. Yes, Yes. of course. And this fish, but this fish fishes for fish. It doesn't just eat fish. So what it does is, right, imagine if you will, a flat-bottomed cre... It's so hard to describe, but basically the bottom of the fish is its jaw. Its jaw rivals... If you combined Robert Redford, Brad Pitt, and George Clooney together, if you put all of their chins together, that would be like the the weakest-chinned anglerfish. Right, okay.
3: Desperate Dan of anglerfishes.
1: Yes, the bottom of its entire body is its jaw, right? And then from that, it has these terrifying, giant, sharp, and they're also kind of white, almost transparent teeth because it lives way down, things that live way down tend to be transparent, translucent, whatever, has these teeth and then sticking out from where you would expect its nose to be, obviously fish don't have noses in the same way that we do. But actually you know the way the giraffe has those things coming out the top of its head, its little yeah, antennae? Yeah. They're yeah. absolutely not antennae, absolutely not antennae, but that's what I'm describing them as and you know what I mean. Yes. It has one of those that looks like a little wiggly fish that it can wiggle. So what the anglerfish does is it hides yeah. And it wiggles its little angler wiggly thing. Yeah. And then a fish comes along and goes, oh, I'm starving. Oh, there's a fish over there. I'll go and eat the little fishy fish. And as it gets closer, the angler fish opens its ginormous, desperate and George Clooney jaw. <laughs> and you are toast, bro.
3: Well, that's fair enough. Like, I mean, live by the sword, die by the sword. That fish is going to eat <laughs> a smaller fish. And then car ferry face opens up his jaw and yeah.
1: mandibles are go. And here's the thing. The reason it does it is because it lives so deep that there's very little to eat, so it must conserve a lot of energy between meals. So by not having to swim around and find it, Uh it is actually able to fish while remaining relatively motionless and therefore it conserves energy, needs to eat less food. So that angler fish
3: is using a part of itself, pretending it's something that it's not. Mm -hmm. So the angler fish is catfishing another fish.
1: Wow. So angler fish, fish for fish by catfishing. Near Fishers Near Fishers We don't know about the Fishers And
3: if you made a toy Of Mm -hmm. the anglerfish Oh wow It would be a Fisher Price Anglerfish The catfished other fish Near Fishers (laughs) If the headmaster Of Home and Away's School
1: (laughs) Stop That is absolutely You've gone too far Even for this podcast However However That is not the weirdest thing About this fish Okay it's always reproduction, isn't it? It's always reproduction where it gets super weird. The yeah. freaks come out in the deep sea. <laughs> so, this fish says, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make me some baby fish. And it swims over and finds a much larger female. Like These guys are tiny compared to the big females. And what it will do is it will swim over and it will go, well, I'm a bit small. I'm a bit irrelevant. I don't even think she's going to notice. Do you know what I'll do? I'll just absorb into her. Huh? I'll just just latch on. And then my skin and her vessels, we'll all join together. I'll basically disintegrate until such a point where she goes, I think I should have a baby. Has any male dissolved into me? Oh, yeah, they have. That means I have their sperm. Let's have some babies.
3: Do you know those greeting cards that say you complete me?
1: If, that, if that's what Jerry Maguire meant in the lift, oh, if that's what he meant to Dorothy Boyd, you complete me. <laughs> I'm just a fish
3: looking at another fish that's been absorbed into my back. We talked to Simon Watt about the Meyer Suriname Toad early in season yes, one. Yes. And I thought that would be the weirdest thing. That... It's no. the single weirdest type of reproduction <laughs> I've ever heard of. Yes. You basically just barnacle your way
1: to having and, kids and destroy and like destroy yourself in the process. You basically cease wow. to exist, other than the kind of you know the necessary bits of DNA that are required to create another fish.
3: You'd you'd really want to have kids.
1: Yeah, and you'd really want to make sure she was the one. You know, yeah, because like, yeah. if she was going around town being. Absorbing lads left, right and center. I mean, you've no way of guaranteeing they're your progeny.
3: Imagine if you were the anglerfish and you joined the female fish and you were just to get, like you're being absorbed and the last bit of your brain is it's just a sentience. It's just about to go. And then you look across and you see another fella looking at you going,
1: I was here first.
2: You know?
1: It's a risky yeah. strategy. It is a risky strategy. But it's hey, kind of amazing though. It okay. works. It works. I want to also tell you about something called a peacock mantis shrimp, okay? This is one of the most beautiful creatures I have ever seen, okay? It is... is I can't explain... know, no, I can't it explain though? how colorful... I've seen colorful. your sneakers. Is it lovely? <laughs> okay. It is literally the colors of a rainbow. I don't okay. know why, because a lot of times, like, there's something else we're going to talk about in a minute, and it is colorful for different reasons. I think this one is colorful to to kind of attract its prey, and to ward off its predators. Like, you know, but kind of dual, right?
3: Okay. I've just looked it up, and it's very colourful. Isn't that, it? That is kind of co- cool, yeah. Yeah. Peacock,
1: mantis, shrimp. But here's a question for you. How hard do you think you can punch? How hard can I punch? Uh, Have you ever done one of those things at a, at a fun no. fair where you punch the... You haven't done that. I did that once, and I got, I got 902... Now, I realize there probably isn't a, you know, a standard scale around the world that the carny people have decided, you know, let's make sure we standardize all our punching mechanisms. But I got 902, which I think is pretty good. I think it's pretty strong. This animal, this tiny shrimp found in the Indian Ocean and the tropical Western Pacific has got arguably the fastest slash most powerful punch in the animal kingdom. It's literally one of the fastest movements in the animal kingdom is this Little shrimps, colourful shrimp, it's punch mechanism. In fact, it is so strong, it doesn't know this, but it could break through the aquarium glass if it wanted to. How strong is this thing? And what does it use the punch for? So, it is brilliant. It uses the punch because when something gets near it, it's f- f- prey that it wants to eat. Yeah. It can go and stun, obviously, the fish because the movement is so fast in the water whatever. But it usually uses it. Their fists of steel to just kind of break open mollocks and d- dismember crabs. And
3: do we do we eat this? Do we use it in anything? Like I would imagine, say, the Lewis or the buses of Dublin, you could have us um, in a little glass case. And if the bus went into water or anything like that, I, it says <laughs> yes, a little hammer. You just got, you broke out the shrimp. And then the shrimp just broke all the windows. I mean, it'd be difficult to train, I would imagine.
1: True, but I think you'd also be massively underutilizing the strength of this particular shrimp to make it break. Like, it would sneeze through glass, this thing. It is literally the strongest puncher in the animal kingdom. That's unbelievable. And presumably it's only small. So, like, Oh, like, yeah. Like, I mean, shrimp don't get very big. It's why it's called shrimp. (laughs) This is true, yeah. But it literally, it punches its prey with these two front appendages, like fists, and goes, like, two, two at a time. So it double punches. <laughs> exactly. And then fishes gonzo, consumes it, or, or a crab, or whatever it is. I mean, crabs are notoriously difficult to pry open, if anyone's ever tried to do that with a crab they're eating, whatever, or a lobster. Not that this thing eats lobsters, but it, like, it has the ability to, like, smash open and dismember crabs.
3: Do you think any one of them Will ever figure it out In an aquarium Oh god that well, Presumably the marine biologists Actually can't put them in Because you know They come in someday And then All the
1: fish are gone I think that was the story In Finding Dory Wasn't it, <laughs> was it? <laughs> Actually One of the frame. No it wasn't a mantis shrimp But anyway, that would have been A good A good bee story
3: I was in an aquarium once and uh, and when I say in it, I actually was in it. I swam with the shark in an aquarium. In no, no, no.
1: Hang on, hang on. I thought you were going to tell me a terribly boring story but I was in an aquarium once. Like, no, wow, no, no, no. No one else was in an aquarium. No, I was all in. you sea life. You were in,
3: <laughs> I was, in the tank. I swam with the shark in an aquarium in New Zealand and uh, I got in and um, I was there for a comedy festival and they said, okay, a couple of things. Uh, don't try and ride the turtle, number one. Number two, I was like, can we talk about number one, please, for a second? Because <laughs> <laughs> a woman tried to ride the turtle, like, ride Ass on its back. The, oh, and, ride and the, the turtle, the turtle, the turtle just went, whoop, and elbowed her in the head, basically, with a flipper, because she was being molested yeah, by some yeah, 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 diver, yeah. well, within her rights, but, like, they're really powerful. She goes, don't wee in the tank, because it acts as a prey identifier for the shark. Oh, God. Uh, she goes, number three, um, if you freak out you can't hear anything down there so a thumbs up is bring me to the surface and an okay signal is i'm okay and she said by the way when you were walking through the aquarium looking at the tank she said uh, you were looking at the, the sharks through convex glass is a convex glass yeah she convex, goes so yeah. they're actually bigger than you thought they were And I was like, not only are they bigger than I thought they were, but I'm smaller than they thought I was. (laughs) So if they were looking at me going, he looks tasty, but I couldn't eat a whole one. And then I get in and like, he comes in fun size as well. (laughs) So I got into the tank and swimming around and left the turtle alone, as you should leave the poor turtle alone. And I saw a comedian friend of mine, David O'Doherty, people will know, walking through the aquarium, uh, with this group of pensioners. And I was like, doom, 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 like this. And he couldn't hear me, so I, went, ah, I gave him a thumbs up. But the instructor was behind me, saw me do the thumbs up, thought I was panicking, and grabbed me and pulled me out of the shark tank. Now, so I'm in a shark tank, and she's behind me, and I've just been grabbed by something <laughs> that I cannot see. I pray identified all over myself, all <laughs> over myself. I absolutely freaked out like you wouldn't believe. Oh,
1: I'm not surprised, to be honest with you. That is that is ridiculous. Would you do it? Have you done it? Would you swim with dolphins? No, I've actually swam with sharks. Oh, oh okay, right. Now, here's the thing. Its a lot tank? of people hear this. No, not in a tank, in the wild ocean. So I went on my honeymoon to the Maldives with my gorgeous wife, Tracy. And it, Maldives, obviously, as you know, is this beautiful, tropical, bounty bar paradise. Yeah. And there are shallows off the edges of the sand banks that are effectively these islands that you're staying on or whatever. And the mother reef tip sharks come in and they give birth to their babies in the shallows. And then they head back out to the deeper sea and they do what they need to do and they eat and they do whatever. Uh, And then I don't even know if they come back to check on them. I'm not sure. But in the shallows are these meter long reef tip sharks when they're juveniles. That's how big they get before they head out to sea. And so you get into the sea, but they're like little puppies. Like, they just kind of, they, they have the crack with you. Like, I used really? to bring in a little, yeah, I used to bring a little bit of seaweed and you kind of, you know, with a cat, you know, where you put a, a stick and a, a piece of wool on the end of it. You, yeah. you kind of do that with the, with the juvenile sharks and they kind of swim after the, the seaweed and then kind of swim past you and go out for ages and then come back again and have a bit of crack. It was brilliant. Wow. Do,
3: uh, is there any sort of um, Like mom, mama grizzly bears Or they, they just have them And then they, they're not Protective of them They just feck off you know off, what
1: Now that you mention it I didn't do enough Research into that and <laughs> While I was Playing with the Baby sharks Maybe I should have Been paying attention To where mommy shark was But I yeah. wasn't
3: Were you singing Any sort of song
1: <laughs> no, let's not do that. We'll infringe copyright. <laughs> this, this, we won't be able to monetize this podcast. Okay. Um, okay. I want to tell you something else as well called a nudie branch. And I realize a nudie branch sounds like the best extravision ever. <laughs> um <laughs> I was going to go with a bank, but that's just, I'd like to make a deposit. But okay, okay, extra vision is better. <laughs> actually, maybe for our international listeners, maybe extra vision doesn't translate quite as funnily as it does for Irish people. Blockbuster, yeah, yeah. So, okay. nudie branch. Okay, a nudie branch is actually a, it's it's a small little crustacean, but it doesn't have a shell. Okay. Okay. oh. And again, like the, the mantis shrimp we talked about a minute ago, the peacock mantis shrimp, it is equally beautifully colored. And it is beautifully coloured, again, for a warning signal to predators that I'm not very nice to eat. Uh, and obviously, because it lives in coral, and all that, you kind of, kind of hide itself within that when it wants to disguise itself and then eat things. But that's nothing. That's nothing compared to the ability this creature has developed over millions of years. It can swallow, digest and reuse stinging cells from other creatures that it eats. Like jellyfish and stuff jellyfish, corals, anemones, nettles. so basically it, what it, it's able to eat the thing that, that has this kind of stinging cell. Okay. And it uses something, I've just wanted to say these two words together for so long in some capacity. It uses its slug slime, oh. <laughs> which is absolutely amazing. It uses its slug slime to prevent the stinging cells from stinging v- itself. Then it stores them like so, so a lot of the cells kind of get just pushed out in its waste, but yeah. it stores a certain amount in little kind of, they're, I think they're kind of sacks. There's words, there's a complicated biology word for it. I don't know, and then it, it has these nematocysts, is what the things are called. And then when it when it's attacked, it can just go and open up its sacks and shoot other animals' Ooh. stinging cells at its predator.
3: That is bad Santa to the nth degree, isn't it? So, <laughs> but so you could you could. Go and try and eat this And you don't know What it's been eating So no. you don't even know What sort of bizarre stinging You know Precisely st- Yeah you, you could be on the beach Going Don't on me it, it, it ate something else <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, Well hopefully it's never Going to come in contact with you But if you were to try And consume this As another fish Would be want To eat one of these Nudie branches Yeah You just look at it and go It's not worth it Like that thing Could easily be stinging me as, yeah. You know, as beautiful as it is.
3: The Gavascon specific brand doesn't exist for me no. to take on that bad boy. No, no, you don't no. want to take on the peacock or the shrimp either, in fairness to you. Imagine you ate that no. and it punched its way out of you. Suddenly your innie becomes an outie and you look down and you go,
1: oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, I very quickly want to mention something which is widely regarded as the ugliest animal in the world. And I think it's unfair. I think I need to mount a PR campaign for the blobfish. The ah. blobfish is a famous fish, because I'll be honest with you, it does look absolutely ridiculous, okay? It is literally a, I wouldn't even say grey, you know the skin colour you get when you've had the worst, like, stomach bug of all time, and you are greeny, grey, kind of see-through. The blobfish looks like this. It's got some kind of a weird nose, it's really fat and flabby in fact it's called fathead in scientific communities (laughs) that that doesn't feel like it should be acceptable and here's why they shouldn't call it that it's only ugly on the surface out of the water because the pressure is 120 times greater where it lives, where oh. it's svelte and handsome and tight and cool, and then we take it up out of the, the water. It has an air sac that all oh, fish have a swim bladder like that. That yeah. inflates and pushes all its kind of organs out into its mouth and swells it up, and then we look at it and go. <laughs> Look at the state of blobfish. It's so ugly, but it's like no, put blobfish back in its natural environment. It's a ride of a fish. So it's like it was a
3: fish that did really well in secondary school. It was an all the sports team. That was is its environment, and we've taken it and brought it to Maynooth University, and, <laughs> and suddenly it looks completely wrecked. Yes. Now I, I, I knew what it looked like because famously, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, yes. uh, compared somebody to it. You oh, know this?
1: who did he compare to it?
3: Ted Cruz. Look, I've looked it up on my phone. Look, can you see?
1: Oh, that's not fair. It's that's not, not fair. fair. It's accurate, but it's not fair.
3: So maybe if you take—is that because we look at Ted Cruz outside of Texas? Is that yes? What it is? If you put him in Texas in a cowboy <laughs> Republican
1: convention,
3: yeah, if he looks great in the Alamo. He looks entirely <laughs> different. He looks like Charlton Heston. Okay, <laughs> they are some top-notch fish
1: facts, my friend. Well, thank you very much. But coming up in part two, we're going to have a chat to Sarah McNulty, PhD. She's a squid biologist. She is a science communicator. She's the executive director of something really cool called Skype a Scientist, which we definitely have to ask her about. And she is going to tell us why would you get a squid drunk? Okay, welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? We're joined now by Sarah McAnulty. Uh, she is a PhD. I love when we get a PhD on the show, Neil. Uh, Sarah, you are a squid biologist, a science communicator. You are the executive director of Skype a scientist, which we definitely want to talk about before the end of this podcast, because that is an amazing idea. But m- I suppose more importantly of all, you know, you are a squid-obsessed human, right?
2: That's absolutely true. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and why squid? Of all of the creatures that we have on this earth, what is it about squid? And when did you decide this is what I want to spend my life studying?
2: Great question. Squid are, are the coolest um, for so many reasons that it's hard to sum up quickly. But um, when you look into the ocean, what other animal has like the range that squid have? They can be as small as a pinky fingernail, as big as a school bus. They do all kinds of wildly different things and to, to live. They live in shallow water. They live in deep water. They change color. They're just amazing. And so I originally I was about eight years old and I got like a tape out of the library back in the 90s that introduced cuttlefish. Um, we don't have cuttlefish in the United States. Uh, so I had never seen anything like that before um, and was totally wowed by how quickly they could change color and kind of became obsessed. Then I switched from dinosaurs to cuttlefish pretty much uh, right then. And um, yeah, I've been interested in squid and cuttlefish ever since.
1: Okay, and let's start now with a very quick uh, understanding of the creatures in general. Okay, so because we say squid, and we probably mean all of the things, or we say octopus, and we mean all of the things. So what is the difference between squid, cuttlefish, and octopus?
2: Squid and cuttlefish both have eight arms and two tentacles. And octopuses have eight arms. So that's the quickest way to tell the difference between... Those groups, anyway. You're going to
1: have to tell us the difference between tentacles and arms, though.
2: You bet. Absolutely. So an arm is uh, one of their limbs that has suction cups all the way along the the arm. Um, They're pretty muscly. They're they're what's called um, a muscular hydrostat. So that's the same thing as our tongue. There's no bones in there, but they can move uh, on their own and and lift stuff and that kind of thing. Um, Tentacles, on the other hand, are totally different. They're uh, generally skinnier. They're really, really like rubber band stretchy. Um, And most of the time when you're looking at the animal, they're not using them. They're hiding them Mm. because they only really are used when they are going to attack food. So they're tucked away until it's time to eat and then they shoot them out, grab the food and then bring it back to their mouth. So that's a tentacle. Um, People use tentacle to describe all of those limbs, and that's fine, uh, whatever. But when we're, like, invertebrate zoology class, we make the <laughs> distinction between the two. Um, tentacle is one of these words that's used for all kinds of different appendages, like yeah. uh, an anemone or a jellyfish. Those have tentacles, but they're nothing like a squid's tentacle. So in um, cephalopods, we distinguish between the two, but... Uh, that's about it. And then also there's some organs that squid have that octopus don't. And we can talk very briefly about that if you want. Um, but it's, it's pretty uh, in the weeds. Um, and uh, but basically, you look at their arms, you look at their body shape. Octopuses mostly are hanging out on the sand in the rocks. Yeah. on the Coral, they're hanging out on the seafloor. Uh, squid usually are up and swimming. Cuttlefish are kind of somewhere in between. Sometimes they're sitting on the ground. Sometimes they're up and swimming, but they're usually more bottom associated as well. And cuttlefish have a cuttlebone, which is this like buoyancy device. It helps them neither sink nor float, stay wherever they are in the seawater. Anybody who's got a bird at home may have fed cuttlebone to their birds. They're like a good source of calcium for pet birds.
1: I was going to ask: Is it a bit like um, the way a hummingbird can f- effectively hover. float hover. because it's hovering? So is is that so? The cuttlefish can do that?
2: It's totally yeah. It's a, it's like a hover mechanism because it's tough to. Uh, change the depth you are in the water without like needing to readjust everything. Mm. Um, so the cuddle bone does that for them.
3: Cuttlefish. I think if I remember correctly, we did an episode in season one with Simon Watt and cuttlefish are the ones who did sneaky fucker strategy days. <laughs>
2: That's the one. <laughs> yes.
3: Correct. They were the ones who changed uh, how they appeared and went, hey, what's uh, how's everybody here? Hi, and girls. Then, Hi, girls. Let's watch Bridesmaids. Yeah. And, and that's how they made it. That was Cuttlefish, wasn't
2: it? Yeah. That's another reason to love Cuttlefish. They're behaviorally <laughs> super weird and cool and interesting. They're smart uh they're sneaky nothing what's
3: not to love H- how do you judge the smartness of uh octopuses it's octopuses is it and squids yeah, and uh cuttlefish because there was, a really fa- there was a famous one paul the octopus wasn't it paul the octopus who yeah. um looked at you know who's going to win the euro uh, the euros world
1: cup i think yeah, but, yeah. World world cup. But
2: ha-
3: generally speaking how, how do you test their is it like mazes is it a test of memory is it is that is that how you do it or
2: There are a lot of ways. And it's generally speaking, when you're comparing the the intelligence of two animals that have very different lives, it's really hard because like if a a squid, octopus or cuttlefish looked at us, they might think that we're idiots because we can't change color and they wouldn't even know that we're talking because they can't hear us. So like their way to communicate is changing color. Ours is making sound. And so they might just be like, these animals are really not that impressive at all. Um, so when when you compare intelligence, it's, it's really a challenge. But when we try to approach this, yeah, we look at, can they solve a maze? Can they um, learn a puzzle? Can they learn a task by watching another one of their uh, peers do the task? Octopuses can do this. They can watch another octopus solve a puzzle that they have never seen before and then immediately be like, I got it.
3: Wow. Like, what sort of puzzle like wordle or something?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. A Sudoku. Um no, like
3: <laughs> five letters. Well it's it's squid, isn't it, lads? It's squid. <laughs>
2: squid is always how I start my wordles. It's a five letter word, you never know when it's you're gonna happily, be the right word.
1: You're right. <laughs> Someday it will be you got it in one. You got it in one.
2: Yeah, it's gonna be squid one
1: day. <laughs> you mentioned their communication through through the color changing. Like I think we need to talk for a minute about that because I think it's one of the most incredible things about squid and cuttlefish and octopus is their ability to they don't necessarily camouflage themselves in the sense that they just they just need to think it with their brains and then it happens
2: yeah It's super, super fast. So the way that they change color, it's these, a couple different structures in their skin. One of them are called chromatophores. Um, Chromatophores are like a tiny little pinprick of pigment in a sphere Mm. that's surrounded by little muscles. And then they can pull those muscles out and take the little pinprick and turn it into a big, big pancake. And so every one of those things is directly connected to their brain. So they can change color, just like you said, as quickly as they can think about it. So they can think like green, red and immediately wow. be different colors they also have slightly slower moving structures called iridophores that's what makes them sometimes look kind of like shimmery sparkly shimmery, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're really really cool as well um, and putting it all together is what makes their whole body pattern
3: can they change color in a way we can't see but either you know other animals can see or their species can see
2: Phenomenal question. Yes. So we can see color, which is the wavelengths of light um, ranging between, you know, like your reds on one end and like blues on the other. And then they can see not only the wavelength of the light, the color, but also the direction that the light's going. We call that uh, polarity. So the polarized light. So, I can tell that there's light in this room, but I can't tell what direction mm. like the waves of light are going. But if like you put on polarized sunglasses, for example, you get some sense of of what that's like, but really it's hard for us to conceptualize. But they can use their iridophores to put some of the pattern in this direction and some in this direction, and it's a whole other pattern that we can't even see that they're doing
1: wow is there without wanting to harvest them for our own good but is there things we can learn in terms of these chromatophores and all these other bits that they have that we don't are there things we, applications we could use it for if we knew how to harness this
2: for sure so um i know the application that's gone the farthest recently is these like the what do you call them like kindle kindle thing oh yeah like the, the readers uh, e-readers. the e-readers yeah. Um, the white on the back of the, uh, page. We, so, so in addition to chromatophores and iridophores, there are these things called leucophores. not all cephalopods have them, but, but the purpose of them is being like extreme white. So okay. if you shine like a pure blue light at them, they're shining pure blue light back. If you do full sunlight, they're shining basically white light back. Right. Um. And so they're really, really good at reflecting and being really, really bright. And so scientists, I think, I think DARPA funded um, a bunch of camouflage, cuttlefish camouflage research to basically understand, first of all, how that works, how we can use it in consumer technology, but also how we can use their camouflage stuff for like military camouflage. And oh, that I'm
1: so thinking cloaking device, like literally thinking that we just go click and we disappear. So is that used at the moment in Kindle?
2: Like, it's not a direct. Copy of uh, Cephalopod leucophore but the, what we've learned from leucophores has been applied to one version of the Kindle, and I can't remember which version it is.
1: Mm. Wow! Are, are they kind of because we we think of things like I, I explained to Neil in the first half of this this episode, lots of strange and wonderful creatures that live in the sea that we don't really know too much about, but they are literally incredible. But are they kind of alien? There, there, There's some, I suppose, a, a general kind of belief that when you see something like an octopus, for example, squeeze through a tiny whole because again you'll tell me why but there's there's only one thing in their body they can't shrink or something isn't there Um, but like you see them unscrew themselves out of a jar or whatever it is and you're like these these aren't like fish they're not like sharks they're not like whales they're they're so their dexterity is so incredible yeah and they can just do things that we kind of expect that only we can do because we have opposable thumbs and all those things
2: Right. Yeah. So the thing that prevents the octopus from getting any smaller than they can is their beak. So that's their mouth. Uh, instead of um, like a regular mouth, they've got like a, a beak that looks just like a parrot's beak. Um, it's made out of chitin. Here's the thing about cephalopods. They wrote like split in evolutionary time. From us mm. and a ridiculously long time ago. So when when we were all trudging down like the the path of evolution a long long time ago, the same the time that we and they had the same ancestor is an obscenely long time ago. Like over they they we've, we had our first cephalopod five hundred million years ago to give you a sense and to give you a sense like what what is five hundred million years? It's hard to think about. Um, that's before trees existed. Um, so. <laughs> Like, they've been their own thing since before Earth had trees. Would they have Um, known Joe Biden? (laughs) They might have. It's hard to say.
3: Like a young Joe Biden.
2: A young Joe, when he was hanging out with Corn Pop or whatever. (laughs) So 500 million years ago. Yeah. Wow. Long time.
3: Is there any squids, or like, you know, sort of Japanese horror films, are there any squids that can eat humans?
2: Some will say yes and some will say no. So could they eat humans? Yes.
1: In terms of size, you mean?
2: Could they? Yes. Um, do they? Generally not, because we generally don't hang out where the really, really big squid are. So the really big squid are the colossal squid. They live um, in the Southern Ocean, so around Antarctica. Nobody's swimming in Antarctica, so that's not going to happen. But if you were to, they certainly could. They're absolutely big enough. Um, giant squid generally live pretty deep, but they live all over the world. Um, so everywhere from Ireland to the Gulf of Mexico to New Zealand, like the world has giant squid all over the place. And they, again, could. Uh there's strong enough to eat a person, they're big enough to eat a person, but we don't swim where they swim. So it doesn't really happen. The only like weirdo circumstance where you might have a person even bitten by a giant squid is when, so when giant squid are are dying, their buoyancy gets a little bit messed up because unlike the cuttlefish that has the cuttlebone buoyancy device, they use ammonia to To keep themselves buoyant. Mm. And the way that works, um, ammonia is a little bit less dense, so a little floatier than water. And so they put ammonia into their muscles and tissues and stuff so that they can balance their like the heaviness of their muscle with the floatiness of the ammonia and kind of stay where they are. When they're sick and they're dying, that all gets messed up and they end up floating to the surface. But they're not dead yet. They're just feeling horrible. Mm. And so they get to the surface. And a lot of times, let's say like, I think this, there was a video of um, a surfer or paddle boarder in Australia or New Zealand that was like out paddling, encounters a giant squid floating at the surface. And the giant squid is like, obviously not doing well, but grabs on the paddle board. Um, because they're just kind of disoriented and confused and found a thing to grab and so grabbed it. So like conceivably that could lead to a bite because they're confused and just grabbing whatever. But you know, when they're in the shallow water, they're really not doing well. So they're not going to eat us. The squid that has some reported, though not confirmed attack attacks are uh, Humboldt squid. So Humboldt squid live off the coast of California down to uh, Baja, Mexico. They can be about six feet long. So they can, they can certainly be human sized and they swim in big groups and their beaks are pretty huge. So they could be dangerous. You could certainly be in a situation where you bleed out from a bite from um, a Humboldt squid. They also tend to eat their prey while it's still alive. And they're just so much better swimmers than us that they could drag us down if they wanted to, if they were big ones. So not all Humboldt squid are six feet, but the ones that are, I wouldn't swim with because they're really, really good swimmers.
1: Yeah. And um, because interesting that you mentioned 500 million years ago, Neil mentioned the kind of the monster version, but like we think of things like Cthulhu, you know, this ancient yeah, yeah. long lived beast of doom, uh, certainly from my, my love of heavy metal, there's always Cthulhu songs left, right and center. But isn't it true that cephalopods don't actually live that long enough? They're, they're very short lived creatures.
2: Yeah, uh, most live a year some live like three to five years we think Mm. that the giant pacific octopus lives like three to five the giant squid we're thinking three to five the longest lived cephalopod is a deep sea octopus and we're thinking maybe 10 to 15 for those but that's not very long that's like shorter than a house cat
1: the greenland shark is like 400 years those guys live
2: yeah those things are wildly old uh but yeah (laughs) cephalopods really aren't living all that long
3: Dave, I feel this this is leading up to you asking.
1: It It is leading exactly to me. So the, talking about keeping like, you know, squid and cuttlefish. And also, the question that I began this whole conversation with, with Neil was, why would you get a squid drunk? So <laughs> can you please? Well,
2: sometimes you have to. <laughs> you
1: know I mean, I know. I mean,
3: I, don't we all? I'm just really hoping that this isn't a massive bottle of tequila and it's the equivalent of the worm at the bottom. I just hope this is some <laughs> scientific reason for this.
2: There is, there is. So it's okay. In my PhD, one of the things I was doing was looking at how the immune cells of squid can tell the difference between bacteria that are helping them and all of the other bacteria in the seawater. And so what I had to do was take a teeny tiny little blood sample from a living squid. And you can't do that while the squid is awake. It's not going to work. So I just have to drink them under the table. And then (laughs) once that's done, I plop them on a little dish while they're still alive, take a little blood sample. And then I put them back into a little tiny little dish with water that has no alcohol in it at all. And I do what I affectionately would call squid PR, where I like take a little, uh, Pump and blow water over their gills, and then eventually they wake back up. They wake back up. Um, so,
1: okay, so I know you jokingly said drink them on her table, but are you putting them in some kind of alcohol f- yes. liquid so therefore they are there? No, 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 but she's doing, she's
3: doing shots of tequila, and the squid, right. <laughs> the squid gets much drunker much quicker because it has eight different things that it can lick the salt off.
2: <laughs> it's very uh, challenging to be a squid going shot for shot with me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So you, you put them in an ethanol thing.
2: Yeah, so I would take the the squid who's in a little like transfer bowl, like a little custard dish basically. And then I add it to 3% ethanol. So like okay. less alcoholic than a classic standard beer. But it's just, it's most of what they're in is just the same seawater that they're in all the rest of the time. It's just that they're now, instead of breathing in seawater, they're breathing in alcoholic seawater. And that alcohol gets into their, Bloodstream through their gills, just like with us, it gets through in our digestive system.
0: When
1: you do your little squid PR and bring them back, do they wake up with a hangover and really get ratty?
2: I feel like they must, but they're not, they don't get as dehydrated as we do because most of the hangover is because we're dehydrated, Mm. but they're not ever dehydrated because they're always in the water. How do they feel? Maybe, hang on,
1: maybe you've stumbled across the actual way we should be consuming alcohol, which is underwater
2: yeah yeah, yeah you know? drinking in pools is one of my favorite things
1: to do so. or also, also <laughs> have you found that the ones that you have gotten drunk and then taken this little blood thing when you go back the second time to the tank are they swimming up going me me i want to get They're drunk the again.
2: opposite they're like i never want to hang out with you ever again oh, really? they will like ink at me they, they know what's happened they oh, really they've just built
3: what you don't want is one is they've built a tolerance you just you don't want george best sitting there you put him in three percent it's like looking at you going gotta do better than that (laughs) i want top shelf baby doll i can can take it i can take it
1: (laughs) so okay so the all of the idea is then to get the little bit of blood you need from the squid the cuttlefish whatever it is and then return it back to its normal state Right. right. See, Neil, I told you there was a good scientific reason behind it. I wasn't leading you down a garden path. That's amazing.
3: And what has your research found about how it selects the bacteria to use and the bacteria to not use?
2: So there's a, so when the squid first hatch, they don't have any bacteria on or in them. Um, They're acquiring it from the seawater. And so years of research has identified this like really wild and complicated process of how the squid chooses the right bacteria to end up in um, the specific organ in them called a light organ that they'll have in there for the rest of their life. The reason they even have this organ in the first place is for light camouflage. So when a little bobtail squid is swimming around at night, they're nocturnal, they want to make sure that that Bigger fish swimming below uh, can't see them as like little silhouettes against the moonlight. Mm. So they take the light that's made from bacteria. The bacteria are making the light and they keep the bacteria in this little pouch and they can control the amount of light that that gets emitted from that pouch by sensing the amount of light that's coming from the moon. So if it's like a bright Full moon, no clouds. They're letting a lot of that light out. And if it's a cloudy night, new moon, they use their ink sac kind of to hide the light and, and wow. kind of control with a whole bunch of different mechanisms how much light gets out. Um, so that instead of seeing a squid silhouette, the predator sees nothing. And long story short, when uh, the squid first hatch and they're trying to recruit that, that right kind of glowing bacteria, the little bacterium has to go through a gauntlet that the squid throws at them to get <laughs> into the pouch in the first place right Um, it has to deal it has to like put up with the squid kind of having like little uh what's called cilia but like beating ores that are causing a bunch of water flow and then they have to handle like acid and a bunch of other attacks from the squid and these little bacteria they've been living with the squid for so many generations that they've evolved to be able to take whatever the squid throws at them
1: you, Um, you knew this was coming sarah but that does sound like squid games
2: yeah, I mean, it's not not like squid games, you know, it's uh, it's pretty similar. So yeah, lots of bacteria will be at the surface of this organ, and only this one gets all the way through.
1: I, I want to talk to you for so long about so many things, but I really want you to tell everybody who's listening now, all our audience, about Skype a Scientist, because we are so lucky that we can reach out to people like you and have you come on our podcast, <laughs> and I've been waiting for this, and I'm sure you've heard it before, our Cephala podcast. Hey, guys. Guys, I'm here all week. Oh, here. Goodness, goodness Sarah's goodness. like I've literally every podcast I've been on has said that joke. But anyway, I, but but we're so lucky we can do that and bring you to our audience. But this is amazing because anybody, so a school, an individual, an organization, um, a, a sports club, anybody can just go we can Skype a scientist and we can have a conversation with a scientist and ask them questions. Tell everyone about Skype a scientist.
2: So yeah, I run an organization that matches up scientists with classrooms, scout troops, individuals, artists, journalists, whoever, libraries for free. So if you want to talk to a scientist about like biology in general, you can do that. If you want to talk specifically to somebody who studies penguins. We can do that too. Um, You just sign up at skypeascientist.com, click the button that says sign up, fill out a form, and usually within a week you get a match. Um, You can choose between about 30 categories of scientists if you're looking for something more general. If you want that super specific like penguin, bee, space, whatever um, type of science, we've got a little tool that you can use to browse our available scientists. I just think it's really important that people can get access to the correct information directly Mm. from the source and kind of demystify uh, scientists as people. And so getting people talking with scientists, I think, is really, really important. And so uh, that's why I founded the organization
1: brilliant. It's kind of, you know, one of one of the reasons we do the podcast that we do and uh, we talk to a lot of scientists, not exclusively, but to a lot of scientists. And in season one we spoke, for example, to Dr. Amy Minzer who uh, works with NASA and with NeoWise and she was the scientific consultant on the movie Don't Look Up that's on Netflix and talking to her about the imminent danger of us all being wiped out and leaving only squids behind uh, from something in space, which you would be happy to know, by the way, is a very, very small percentage. It's actually probably okay. just not going to happen. Um, but but being able to bring somebody, uh, uh, you know, with, with her expertise to this audience and then somebody like you to this audience that like we're just doing it on a tiny level. But the way you're doing it is just absolutely phenomenal.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope uh, you listening at home, I hope you use it because we're just these scientists are just we've got literally thousands of them just waiting to talk to people.
3: I like the way you said thousands of us are waiting for your call and it didn't sound weird. Whereas if I say it, it just sounds like I'm doing some sort of special line. (laughs) Call now. 1-800-SQUID.
2: Do you want to talk about bumblebees? (laughs) Sign up at (laughs) skypeascientist.com.
3: Is is it a bumblebee or is it a transformer? Stay
1: on the line to find out. (laughs) What's
3: your go-to squid fact?
2: Would have donut shaped brains.
1: Oh my God. So do things go through their brains?
2: Yeah. When they swallow, they have to make sure they take really little bites because it goes through their brain.
1: You are kidding me. The esophagus goes through their brain. Yeah. Imagine me, Neil. You know me and my appetite. Imagine me sitting down at an all-you-can-eat rib buffet. Yeah. And you're going, Dave, slow down. You're going to puncture your own brain. (laughs) That's
2: right. That's right. It's like brain freeze, but even more. The stakes are higher.
1: (laughs) Sarah McNulty, we could honestly talk to you all day, but we have to be respectful of your time and also everyone else's. But thank you so much for educating us on the amazing animals that are squid, cuttlefish, octopuses, all of those incredible creatures. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having me. This was really fun.
3: Welcome back to part three of why would you tell me that? Well, Dave, why would you tell me that?
1: Why would I tell you why you would get a squid drunk or why would I actually ask Sarah McAnulty, PhD, squid biologist, science communicator, executive director of Skype, of Scientists? Why would I ask her to tell you that? Because, Neil, these creatures, I, I think, are underappreciated. I think they're a bit like us, you know, like people don't realize just how many times I change color on the screen that you're looking at <laughs> They don't know what my chromatophores are doing to you all the time. It was quite interesting goes like, "We
3: if a squid looks at us and thought, well, they can't change color, they're idiots. And I was thinking, anything over 20 degrees, and I change color <laughs> almost instantly. Now, I don't change color back for another, like, two or three weeks. I'm pretty sure that squid don't peel. But um, <laughs> fascinating stuff. Yeah. I, for, for a good 30 minutes, I was uh, caught between being mesmerized by the stuff that she was saying and Mm. going, do you eat calamari? Do you eat calamari? Do you you know what?
1: I've heard her say that she does. She does eat calamari. Yeah. Yeah. But
3: she honors them in a specific way. (laughs) Like holds them up. Like,
1: (laughs) the little cuttlefish that she studies. I don't, I think they are in some parts of the world might be a delicacy. And I don't think she could possibly eat them because look, they're so close to her. But yeah, I think the squid that form the kind of calamari thing, I don't think she's any problem with eating them. And let's face it, they are delicious.
3: <laughs> that was fascinating. I didn't know they were that old. I didn't know they could do the things that they could do. Mm. And uh, I can underst- I didn't know why you would get them drunk. I had no idea. But I suppose yeah. it does kind of make sense, doesn't it? And it's all in the name of science.
1: Right. Well, look, that is my episode. Sarah McAnulty, absolutely brilliant human. I'm so glad she came on. I love somebody who is so enthusiastic about the thing they're spending their life studying and trying to understand better and she just encapsulates that so much
3: absolutely and you know that we will be actually skyping a scientist she's she's already selling that to us and we're going to do that for a podcast at some point absolutely because uh, now the pressure's on me to bring something for you next week
1: yes what have you got for us next
3: week neil we are going to talk to a man who will explain dave that no matter how nice you are you might be a little bit closer to discrimination than you think
1: oh no really Okay, we'll have to tune in next week to find out. Thanks, Neil.
2: Planning for your next trip?
0: Elevate your travel
2: style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,